10, and I'm going to read that to us in just a moment. So in, um, in these Sundays that we've got in between Easter Sunday, where we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, uh, him coming back to life uh, in glory, and then um, Ascension, which is in a couple of weeks' time, where Jesus goes back to heaven to be with his Father, and um, Pentecost the week after, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on all the new believers. In these Sundays in between those two dates, we're beginning to think about some big themes and some big questions that the early church, that early group of disciples, those first group of believers would have been wrestling with. What do we do now that uh, Jesus has come back to life? He said that he's going to be leaving us, at least physically, to go back to his Father in heaven. What does it now mean for us to be the church and to live as Christians, although that word wasn't used? until a little while later, but to live as believers in this new context. And they would have been asking questions like, how do we hear God's voice, which Kent spoke to us about the other week? How do we have confidence that this good news, this message that Jesus shared with us, is really true? And Roshan shared that with us the other week. Next week, we're going to be looking at the topic of healing. Well, the disciples saw Jesus heal and do miracles, so could they expect that there would still be miracles and still healings, and can we expect that today? That would have been a question that they would have wrestled with. But this morning, we're going to think about this issue of sharing faith, sharing with other people the good news that we have. So um, let's turn to, uh, to Romans. Uh, this is a letter that was written by St. Paul to the church that at that point was based in the city of Rome, uh, a new community of believers. And Paul is engaging with them about some key themes in the Christian faith. And here he touches on this issue of sharing the good news of Jesus that we have with others. So let's read it. Romans chapter 10, and we're going to read the first 15 verses. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness." Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes about this righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, I don't know about you, but often when I read uh, the letters of Paul in the New Testament... I have to read the same bit about five times to figure out what he's talking about because he's really sort of verbose and wordy and you read a bit and go, that sounds really impressive. Not really sure what it means. And you go back and read it again. So we're going to unpack this passage and try and get to the bottom of what Paul is saying to us. This is how he begins. He says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. The Israelites at this time are the chosen people of God. They are God's holy nation. And um, the Greek word that Paul uses here for saved literally means rescued. It means rescued. So Paul is saying, it is my heart's desire that this people who were once followers of God, who God has chosen and who God loves, they would be rescued. And, you know, we live, don't we, in a world today that feels, to me anyway, that it is in great need of rescuing. You know, we live in a world of pain and of brokenness, where people have chosen to live a life apart from God, where they have chosen to alienate themselves from him, to pull themselves out of relationship with him, and to set themselves on a course which is ultimately headed to destruction. And it feels like we have a world that is in desperate need of being rescued and saved. But the challenge for us is, I wonder if we share the same passion and zeal that Paul had here, that it is our heart's desire, it is our greatest prayer that our world would be rescued. I wonder if we have that desire. So having said that um, it is his prayer to see the Israelites saved, Paul then gives us some good news. He tells us how that might happen. How can people be rescued? How can they be saved? Have a look at verse 6. This is what he says. The righteousness that is by faith says... Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that's to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that's to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. And again, that's a really wordy way of Paul saying, in essence, if you're looking for God, if your heart is searching for him, you don't need to look far. 
And actually, you're not to go searching in the heavens as if God were far away and up there somewhere and needs dragging down to be with us because he's already come to be with us. That's what the Christmas story is about, what we call the incarnation, which literally means God putting on human flesh and coming from heaven to earth in the person of Jesus. So God isn't far away. God has come to earth already to be with us. So we don't need to go far to look for him. He's already close. Equally, we don't need to go to the realm of the dead. We don't need to consort with spiritists. We don't need to have sort of superstitions about death or try and communicate with people in the afterlife. We don't need to go to the place of the dead to look for Jesus because Jesus has come back from the dead. He's alive and he's with us. So Paul is saying, don't search far and wide for God. He's, he's present. He's near. Another translation of the Bible puts it this way. The word that saves is right here, as near as the tongue in your mouth, as close as the heart in your chest. So there's the good news. Hi, Hannah. You're right. There's the good news that Jesus is close to us, he's near to us. We don't need to search far and wide for him, he's already come. And then Paul explains, verse 9. That's all very well, but how do we actually accept him? How do we enjoy a relationship with him? And here's what Paul says, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Two things there that Paul instructs us to do. Declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he is alive. Declare with our mouth, believe in our heart. In Paul's day, speaking and believing were two sides of the same coin. And that seems weird maybe to us today because I think we have a notion sometimes that faith can be private Okay? The people will say, well, I'm a Christian and I believe certain things, but I don't really want to talk about it because it's individual and it's private and it's, it's just for me. And the challenge for us there is that St. Paul and his contemporaries would not have understood that because to believe was to declare. To believe was to declare. And actually, what one spoke was an indicator of the depth of one's conviction. So there's the good news, and there's how we receive it, declaring with our mouth and believing in our heart. And then Paul concludes by giving us a challenge. Well, he gives us four challenges, actually, wrapped up into one. And uh, we're going to have a look at those. Have a look at verse 14. Um, How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? So let's break that down. If we could have a look at the first slide, Michael. Challenge number one that Paul gives. How can people call on a God that they've not believed in? I think that's a fair question, right? Why would anyone pray to a God that they didn't actually think was real? 
I mean, you wouldn't, would you? That's crazy. It's an unrealistic expectation of us to have that people would pray to a God that they don't actually believe in. Um, I wonder how many of you, when you were kids, I asked this in the first service and I felt like I was the only one, so please humour me here. How many of you, when you were kids, had an imaginary friend? Right? Anybody? Rich. Great. Thank you. And, and Ali's daughter did. And how many of you, when you were kids, gave names or personalities to the toys that you played with, right? Teddies and stuff like that. I, I definitely did that, okay? So you created this little imaginary world of imaginary people and so on, right? Here's the thing. When you were in trouble as a child, when you were in danger, when you were lost, when you were hungry, when you needed somebody... My bet is you didn't call out for help to your imaginary friend or to your, um, your soft toys. My guess is you didn't do that. Because actually in that place of, of, of desperation and of longing, deep down you knew that your imaginary friend and your toys couldn't help you because they weren't real. Who did you call out to in that place of need? Probably mum or dad or grandma or granddad or whoever was there. People that were real. People that could actually help and have the power to do something. And so Paul says, how can people call on a God they've not believed in? Of course they won't. People need first to believe that God is real and true and powerful. Challenge number two. Thanks. So Paul moves us on. How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? Which again is quite a reasonable question to ask, isn't it? Why would people believe in a God that they've never ever heard about? Completely reasonable. And you know, this is really relevant for us as a church today, I think. Because we have an assumption sometimes that everybody understands who Jesus is, how much God loves them, and this amazing hope that they're invited into. We assume that the rest of the world knows. Friends, they don't. They don't. And um, just before Easter, uh, some of you were helping at it, so you'll, you'll know this, but we had uh, about 90 children from Millbrook School uh, came into this building to learn about the Christian story of Easter. It was great. So we set up activity stations around the building telling the story of Easter, the Last Supper, Jesus washing the disciples' feet, Jesus dying on the cross, the empty tomb and so on. We took them round and we told them the story. Most of those kids didn't know it. And actually, when you ask the question, does anyone know what the story of Jesus is at Easter? Very, very few. That is indicative of the world that we live in, that actually people don't know what Jesus has done for them and how much they're loved by him and the invitation that is extended to them. People don't know. And so in the post-Christendom sort of Western worlds that we live in, people either have no idea who Jesus is or a completely wrong idea. You hear all kinds of weird things about what Christians supposedly believe or what goes on in church. And so much of it is so far from reality. And actually, it's not people's fault. It's because no one's told them. How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? Challenge number three. 
How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now, um, we had a a prayer gathering, some of us, on Wednesday night, and I read out this verse and said, um, how do you feel about this verse? How do you feel about the word preaching? And everyone was like, oh, that freaks me out a bit, really. I'm not a preacher. I said, what do you imagine when you hear the word preaching? People said, well, what you do, like standing in a pulpit at the front or all those slightly, um, let's be gracious, um, slightly zealous people who you might find in the town centre kind of waving placards around and shouting very loudly and very passionately. That's what preachers look like and I'm not one of those. The word preaching, though, simply means to proclaim to declare, to tell forth, to share, to speak out something. How can they hear unless someone preaches to them? Uh, It's pretty reasonable, isn't it, really? All of us know stuff because at some point someone has told us. And I would imagine that for most of us, we're in this building this morning, we're part of a church, we worship God, because at some point in our lives, a parent, a friend, a family member, somebody told us about Jesus. And if they hadn't told us, we wouldn't know. And I sometimes think that we have this idea that with the the Christian faith, that good news is different to other kinds of good news and that people will find out if we don't tell them. So if we kind of hang around people, right, and just look at them like this, that it will just by osmosis, like, seep in and people will go, oh, I suddenly understand now. And actually, the reality is if we do that, we're just being creepy um, and people won't understand who Jesus is. We've got to open our mouths and tell people. So the last challenge, Michael, was uh, challenge number four. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? From the book of Acts onwards, the disciples, the early followers of Jesus, called themselves the apostles. That word apostles simply means sent ones. And if you come to our 9.30 service, where every week we say the words of the creed, which is the the ancient um, word form that the church uses to express its faith and its belief, every week we profess our faith in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Apostolic there meaning sent. So the church is a sent church. We're sent out with an assignment, with a job, with a mission. And that's how the early Christians understood themselves. They had a job to do. They had an assignment. They had something that they'd been called to. When I was a teenager, I worked for a while as a paper boy. I was rubbish at it and I hated it, but I did it for a few years when I was a teenager. And I used to deliver the free paper, you know, the one with all the adverts in it. And no one reads it really, do they? Do they? I mean, I had 250 of these things every week. And there were some weeks where I honestly thought I could just dump them somewhere, right? And pick up the pay packet. No one's going to know. I mean, it's a worthless piece of rubbish. It's going to end up in the recycling or lining the cat litter tray or whatever. I never did that. I was honest and I delivered it and put it through letterboxes every week. But the thought entered my mind. And the thought entered my mind because ultimately I saw that free paper as worthless. And I thought, 
it doesn't really need delivering, does it? It's not important. And I wonder if sometimes we have that view of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's not that important. Maybe we don't really need to deliver it. But it's gold. The message of Jesus that we have is pure gold. And it needs to be delivered. It deserves to be delivered. And we have been sent to deliver it. So as I come into land... I wonder this morning where you're at. I wonder what your reflections are on what Paul says to us. I wonder if on reflection you think, this all sounds really exciting, this stuff about good news, but actually the more I hear about it, the more I sit in church or the more I um, receive this message or hear people like me from the front talking about it, I'm not sure I've ever properly understood it. I'm not sure that I understand what it means. I'm not sure that I've ever fully grasped the love of Jesus and the hope that we have. And that's okay if you're there. But my encouragement to you would be don't stay there. Ask somebody about it. Talk to somebody that you're sat with um, who does know what that good news message is. Ask them to share it with you. Ask them to share their personal story with you. Come and talk to me. Come and take me out for a coffee this week. That'd be nice, by the way. And, um, and I'll, I'll share it with you. I'll talk to you about the good news that we have. But maybe you've heard it and you know it, but if you're honest with yourself, you're not sharing it. And you're not sharing it maybe because in your heart of hearts, you don't really believe that it is as precious as it really is. Or maybe you're not sharing the good news of Jesus because you lack the courage to, and we've all been there, so there's no judgment. But I wonder if you understand yourself as being sent. You've been sent with an important message to deliver. You've been sent with an assignment and it is precious. So I want to challenge you, church, this week to pray that God would give you just one person that you can share the amazing hope that you have with to just share the message of Jesus that we have, which is the hope for the whole world. Share it with one person. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're not far away from us but you have come to be near us in Jesus. That you have offered us healing and forgiveness and a new life. And all we need to do is to proclaim it with our mouths, believe it in our hearts, and we will be saved. We will be rescued. Lord, where we don't know that good news, I pray that you would give us the courage to ask somebody, to talk to people, to be open to finding out more. But where we know and yet have not shared, would you give us opportunity this week to share what we have with others? Amen.